Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast presented by Scree Gear. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast and if you've uh, followed along with Louisiana Bowhunter in general, you're probably very familiar with Scree. And um, as we enter into what is now season four of the podcast, Scree is returning as our title partner for the podcast. And we're greatly appreciative of that. And with it being Labor Day weekend, as far as the release of this podcast and the release of this being the first of season four, it's a good time to get geared up. Everybody's starting to get prepared for uh, for hunting season, and Scree's got some awesome deals. Uh, first thing to mention is a Labor Day promotion, which is a kind of a reward program sort of thing, where the more money you spend, the more you get back. So you get a percentage of your total purchase value back in credit towards future purchases. And uh, as we've talked about in the past, they also have the Whitetail Bundles. And the Whitetail Starter Bundle is on the risk-free 14-day trial. Buy it. Try it for 14 days. If you're not totally satisfied, return it. No questions asked for a full refund. So lots of cool things going on, and we'll be talking a whole lot about them as they are our uh, title partner for the podcast this season. And that is S-K-R-E, Scree Gear, and shop online at ScreeGear.com. So joining me on the podcast today is my esteemed cameraman, Colin. Say hello, Colin. What's going on, everybody? Colin, you can hold your microphone a little closer to your mouth. What's going on, everybody? Thank you, Colin. Glad to be here. <laughs> and 
a, a name and voice that that uh, people might recognize, Mr. Levi Madden. Levi, hello. Hola. Hola, huh? Yeah, so, I'm not supposed to be speaking Spanish or English. Whichever one you want. We're uh, okay. non-discriminatory. We don't discriminate. Um, okay. So, Colin's here with me, and, and Levi is on the phone, and we're going to just kind of go over quite a few different things here to, to kick the season off. Um, it's September the 1st, actually, as we're recording this. This will be a Labor Day uh, Labor Day weekend recording. So kind of starting off, uh, Colin, I'll ask you first, uh, what's what's going on this summer in your world as far as getting prepared for archery, bow hunting? This year, I took it upon myself to start practicing a lot earlier. I've really, really, for whatever reason, really enjoyed it a lot more this summer. So I've gotten out in the in the evenings and started practicing a lot more um at my lease i'm not 100 percent ready but i've got cameras out starting to collect inventory things like that and starting to try to put the pieces of the puzzle together levi i know this is like your first year to ever bow hunt so you're like getting geared up and ready for the first time ever but but what's your take on it so far (laughs) <laughs> well, up until two weeks ago, it's been extremely dry and hot, at least in my portion of the state. Uh, and this year, uh, or this week, actually, I've been contemplating getting my woodworking tools out and building an arc as much as it's been raining. So it's kind of been a, it's been kind of an extreme change in weather and all that. So, uh, but summer's going good. Um, I normally start work around July 4th weekend, so we've been working on stands, building some, built a few ground sets. Uh, been pretty hot as always, but everything's going good. So I noticed. Looking forward I, to it. I guess we got 30 days left. So I made, I, I, I kind of said the other day to someone, I don't know if either one of y'all would agree with this, but it, it seems to me like, we have had like a a very bipolar weather this summer as it pertains to to rain anyway i mean the heat and humidity is ever present but um does it feel like it's usually much usually it feels to me like the wet the wet weather that we've been having comes earlier in the summer and we're starting to get into a little more of a drier pattern in september it seems to me am I, am, is that how you remember it levi or, or am yeah. I completely off on that? Because it seems to me like I'm trying to, like like you said, July 4th is probably a common common holiday for everybody to start wrapping up summer vacation. And they start looking towards, you know, hey, we got a month left till school starts back up. And then, you know, everything just starts, the calendar starts to flip slowly. And it's usually just wet and rainy and it's, you know, just miserable. And then September rolls around. And late August, September, and we start thinking about getting food plots prepped for planting and all that, and it's like, now we can't get any rain. That's yeah. how I recall it, but maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Did, that, what do you think, Colin? Am I wrong? I mean, in the past, yeah, this year? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's, no, it's, it's very, very bipolar. Seems like earlier in the summer, it started off pretty dry, 
but it seems like the past month has, at least where I'm at, has been a torrential downpour. Well, I know, I, as an example, with the age of my kids and everything, I coach baseball, and I don't think we had but a handful of dates this spring and summer rained out. You know, not to say that it never rained, but it wasn't just raining all the time to where any little rain would rain out the field. I mean, it was it was pretty calm in that regard, and now it's like every single day. But I don't know anything about this. Levi, you, you know, you guys obviously manage a fairly large piece of property, so you probably know more. But what I would assume that earlier rains are better for, for, for browse production than later rains. Do you know how that affects all of that? Absolutely. I mean, you would rather, much rather have a, my opinion, you would much rather have, you know, very good rain in the spring and early summer for browse and all that. And typically, you know, as it transitions from their light summer feeding patterns, I mean, from, from that standpoint, I mean, I guess it's kind of hard. I guess, I guess it's the only thing that I can think of that it's a good thing is because of possibly like EHD because EHD and blue tongue and all that tends to really ramp up towards the end of the summer when it's really dry. And I'm not, I guess as much rain as we had, there's water everywhere on our place. So maybe we won't have such a bad outbreak. I know we we saw a deer die last summer and found another buck in a dried up water hole that I'm sure had died of the same thing. So, The hunt is over for the right insurance carrier for all of your needs. Whether it's your personal, commercial, or agricultural needs, Jake Slocum at American National will have you covered. With over a decade of experience and multiple offices across the state, he'll take care of all of your needs. Whether it's auto, home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum at American National has you covered. Call or text 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. What if that strap breaks on your lock-on or your saddle? What if your boot slips while climbing up a tree early one frosty morning? We all place our lives in the confidence of our gear, safety harnesses, and lifelines, but we all need to plan for the worst with an advanced life insurance policy. Contact Jake Slocum at American National Insurance today to have a plan for you and your family if you never make it home. Call or text 318-255-0096 for a professional assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. Well, not that I spend a whole lot of time like researching and keeping up with it, but I typically do see headlines as they pop up, and I haven't seen any EHD headlines really anywhere, but specifically mm-hmm. in the South this summer. I haven't mm-hmm. heard any of those gruesome, gut-wrenching stories about um, outbreaks and potential uh, restrictions. and none, I, none of that's crossed my way. So I, hopefully, I don't know. I, I, Colin and I just got back yesterday. We went up to Kansas, and we uh, <clears throat> kind of doing some preseason prep work on some farms that we're going to hunt and some media stuff, and it's been a complete drought up there, like to the point that it looks like October in 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 way. I mean, it's still green, but like the grass is not high because it's been completely stunted by the drought. 
And a lot of the places we went, there are no acorns, nowhere. Like, you look in the trees, and there's just, you see one or two little clumps here and there. On trees, I mean, you're talking about um, the blackjack oaks and, and, and other areas that, in my experience up there, are always loaded with acorns. I mean, they're, they're typically like gravel in the, in the uh, fall, and they don't have them from the drought. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the crops are pitiful. Like, the crop fields up there look bad. I mean, mm-hmm. really bad. And, I, and actually, our um, um, uh, Matt Wanzer with 180 Outdoors, who we were up there um, visiting with, he was, you know, he was telling us how a lot of the farmers up there are actually just, just they're just bailing, they're cutting their crops down and bailing them for hay. Corn and yep. soybeans being bailed up in hay because there's no production. So, yep. yeah, I, I guess we shouldn't complain too much because uh, they got it pretty bad. Uh, now, and with that being said, I mean, I still haven't heard of any kind of EHD or anything. And uh, there's still plenty. We saw a lot of deer. We put cameras out. We're getting, already getting pictures of a lot of deer. And all that seems to be good. It's just, you know, when you look at the, when you look at the, uh, the habitat, it's very i'm used to it being much greener much lusher much taller uh up there and it's not and down here it's yeah i won't i will say one thing i noticed about down here despite the rain and all that is we we left on sunday and we came back on wednesday and i live in a wooded area and i have big hardwood trees all around my house so leaves are a problem for me i mean i i I deal with with uh a crazy amount of leaves and when we got back there are leaves scattered all around my garage and driveway and area like right around the house so even though it's raining all the time the leaves that you know some of my trees i can see the leaves are starting to wilt and change colors and starting to fall and I always look for that around the end of August is pretty typical. So that seems to be on schedule, if that means anything. I don't yeah, know. the the soybean crops up around our place look horrible. They're, mm. it, I mean, they have beans on them, but yeah. they, they they have a big problem up there. It's it's not good. Mm. So, well, so. Um, just kind of transitioning a little bit, you know, with, with, with Louisiana bow hunter and with this being the, the kind of, uh, this is the kickoff episode for season four. And it, we, you know, you probably, if you follow the brand and you follow everything, you see that, uh, we're putting out a lot of new stuff We're we're trying to kind of reach out a little bit more, be a little bit more active with the brand this year. So we got some new stuff coming out. In terms of some some new some new gear, some new merchandise, and hopefully some other products too. So, um, want to encourage people to make sure to check all that out. If you uh, if there's a store somewhere in the state where you're used to seeing our gear and you're not seeing it, be sure to email us, reach out, let us know so we can um, get with those people and, and get more gear around. We want to want to make sure everybody gets a chance to get their hands on some of the new shirts and hats and stuff we're doing they're gonna be really cool born in the swamps of south louisiana buzzard roost saddles fits the need for a more efficient means for trekking the swamps and hunting elevated 
What began as a scrappy saddle made of sit-and-drag and paracord has evolved into one of the most innovative and quality saddles on the market today. Buzzard Roost Saddles is a small company located in Santa Mar, Louisiana, catering to those scrappy guys that go the extra mile. Whether it's packing out a rugged country or push-poling a P-Road through muddy swamps, Buzzard Roost Saddles are designed with quality and comfort in mind for hunters looking to get elevated and hunt mobile. For a quality hunting saddle made right here in Louisiana, shop online at buzzardroostsaddles.com. And this Labor Day, save 15% with the code LABORDAY15, September 1st through 7th at buzzardroostsaddles.com. I am doing something very new for me, and I know last season we did a podcast with Brian Chamberlain, who's been on the podcast a couple of times and, and is real active in the in the community here. But uh, he did an elk hunt, and I am returning this year with him on that same hunt. So September, in two weeks from today, I'll be leaving to head to to uh, Utah for a archery rut elk hunt. Has that? Have you ever? I know Colin's going with me to run camera. I know he's never done that before. Is have you done that hunt before, Levi, or something like that? I have never been on an elk hunt, not once. I'm it's on my it's on my list to do, but I've just never done it. Uh, they say once you go, you don't really want to go hunt anything else. That's what that's the rumor, anyway. So, well, so Colin and I have been preparing for this hunt for months now. I mean, I it's been kind of forefront in everything, and then. The last three days, we go and put cameras out in Kansas, and overnight, I've got like five or six different shooters. And the first day, and I'm like, now, I, now my, I'm distracted again. But, but, so on on the elk hunt. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go and meet up with our. We're going with the outfitter, but we're hunting public land. Uh, you know, so it's a what they call a, a mule skinner. I think is 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 the style of outfitting where they. We're going to get on a horse, and we're going to ride 20 miles into the backcountry with a mule team carrying all our gear to a campsite, and we're going to camp there and hike from there up into these areas that they hunt. And it's supposed to be, we're going, this would be the third week of their season um, when we're there, and that's supposed to be annually kind of the best timing for the rut, and it's... uh hike around, spot and stalk, try to call them in. They should be bugling. And so I'm preparing myself for a lot of different things. And, and well, I'm mentally preparing myself. I've not done really, really great at the physical preparations that I should be. The, you know, <laughs> the diet and exercise <laughs> part. I figure I'm just going to wing it. But, um... <laughs> uh, you're you're going to die. Uh, yeah, I might, somewhere along the way. Um, no, um, I'm... That'll I'm, be two of us. Yeah, well, if I die, Colin's <laughs> dying with me. So, um, my my thought about it is uh, I'm just going to be optimistic and just assume that I'm going to get on a bull, like, within a couple miles of camp on the first morning and uh, kill him, and then that'll be that. If you're looking to buy your very own hunting property or maybe you got a piece of property that you're looking to sell, you need to contact our friend Slade Priest, the Hunting Land Man, a licensed realtor with Southern States Realty and a land pro with Realtree United Country Hunting Properties. Slade's more than just a real estate agent. As the host of the Sportsman Channel television show Trained Assassins and Hunt United on the Realtree 365 app, 
as well as his new digital series, Hunting Land Man, on Waypoint TV, his life has always been centered around the outdoors and God's creation. With the ability to leverage years of experience, knowledge, and a unique perspective gained from working in the family's timber and wildlife business, Slade just understands the recreational land market, and he gets results. Nobody sells more in Mississippi and Louisiana. To search for your new hunting property, visit huntinglandmanms.com or contact Slade at 601-888-0094 for a free consultation. <laughs> we, we don't have to go very far. I'm not. I'm not going, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you that's not how it's going to go. Probably. Probably not. But I, uh, hope, I hope it does. Probably not. But I did make a decision in terms of archery. I bought a new bow uh, this year, this summer. I bought the uh, the new Hoyt RX7 carbon bow, which, by the way, is just. It's just the sweetest thing. You got one too, didn't you, Levi? I got the Ultra. Oh, yep. you got the Ultra. Okay. Yeah. The so my new RX7 is just. It, I wasn't going to buy a bow. Um, for those of you that don't know, I guess this is a, a bit of information to share on this here podcast. Um, Jay's Archery Supply has closed down. Jay has taken. I didn't know that. You didn't know that. I didn't prepare no, you very well for this that. episode. No, you didn't. Good um, job. <laughs> Jay took a job as a regional sales rep for Bear Archery, um, a pretty big region. I don't know. M- multiple states. In our, I, I don't want to misspeak, but I know it's Louisiana and Mississippi and Arkansas and Oklahoma and big area. So he jumped on that train, and, and he shut down over the summer. So I had a friend of mine that wanted to buy a new bow, and Jay's like, hey, man, I got a whole bunch of stuff here. I'm, uh, I need to sell off as much as I can before – before we we closed down so we took a trip up there and uh for my buddy to buy a bow and so he's shooting some different bows and trying to decide which one he's going to get and uh there he's got several of these rx7s on the wall and one of them in the uh they call it like mountain green but it's basically just like olive drab matte color green and uh i just i'm like man that's awesome and he's like yeah you got to have it so I shot it, and it is hands down the best shooting bow I've ever shot, and uh, deal I couldn't pass up. But so I've been preparing my bow, and uh, I went to a little heavier heavier arrow setup. I've been shooting victories, and uh, I went to an Axis five millimeter. It's a little bit heavier arrow, and um, you know some of that with the elk hunt in mind. But I've been debating the whole broadhead thing, and I know this is like a topic we'll talk about throughout this season of podcast in many different ways when we're talking about arrow setups and light versus heavy and, and fixed versus mechanical. And and everybody that's listening to this podcast knows that I just go on and on about how great Grim Reaper broadheads are. And But I think I've just decided I'm just going to stick with my – I'm going to stick with my setup. And my arrow rate – my arrows are a little heavier than they've been being with this new setup, which will help me, but that's not – just directly because I'm going elk hunting. That's just what I chose to do with this new bow. But I think I'm just going to stick with the Reapers. I mean, I know, Levi, I know you've hunted some bigger game than just whitetail. Do you, mm-hmm. I mean, have you made it a habit or have you made it um, a, a, a point to, like, change up your setup when you're doing bigger game hunting? Or, or what, what's your approach to that? 
If I was hunting a really big animal like a moose or something like that, I would probably go to a fixed plate head just because of the, the cut on contact and you just get better penetration with them. But um, I would say, you know, when I, I went and hunted mule deer up in Colorado last year, and it's kind of a, yes, a absolutely perfectly tuned arrow will shoot good regardless of what head you shoot fixed or mechanical but i will say a slim profiled mechanical broadhead will fly better at longer distances and i'm i'm a big fan of of mechanicals i can't believe i'm even saying that i used to not like them at all because my dad to this day, still shoots Zawicki broadheads on some 25-14 aluminum shafts. So, uh, I got all that from him. But, um, you know, I, if you were asking me what I would what I would take on that hunt, probably, what I would suggest probably would be an inch-and-a-half cut mechanical. Grim Reaper makes an inch-and-a-half. That's actually what I killed my mule deer with last year was an inch-and-a-half mechanical. and yeah got great penetration on a pretty long shot so i was i was very impressed with them colin do you shoot mechanicals or fixed Uh, i shoot mechanical i right now i'm running the schwackers but i haven't shot an animal with it yet i've recently switched from another mechanical that i didn't like too much so I'm, i'm giving these a go and if i don't like them i'm i guess i'm gonna have to switch to the grim reaper because I've I've filmed quite a few get taken with that broadhead, so I know it works good. So it, what it comes down to, like with for me, like with what Colin just said. I mean, Colin has has filmed several hunts where I've used them, so he's witnessed that through my perspective on his own. But even aside from all the hunts before Colin filmed and hunts that haven't been filmed. Like, I've had so much success with them, and not just on, I mean, I've I've killed hogs with them as well, and, uh, I mean, not that a coyote matters, but, I mean, those two, but, I mean, that's a smaller animal, but I've shot everything from 300-pound Midwest whitetails all the way to 100-pound does, and the results are the same, you know? Like, I, I mean, I, it, it's not like they do really good, and they do good enough. Like I've shot two hundred fifty pound boar hogs, three up to three hundred pound boar hogs, all the way down to a thirty pound coyote, and all in all, I mean for the most part, they're just devastating, all the way around. And uh, my thought is is the confidence factor, and and kind of I'm I'm glad you said what you said, Levi, because that's where my my thought about it is is I obviously hope that if I get a shot at an elk. I mean, first of all, I hope it's on the first morning and it's a mile from camp. But aside from that, I hope that it's also like 25 yards. <laughs> but if, if it's not 25 and it's 115 or less, you're good. I'm good. I can. I, I did, so I'll get to that story in a minute. But I hope it's at 25 yards. But, I, I mean, anybody that's that's watched or, or researched or been elk hunting knows that it's a has the potential to be a longer shot game than the way we set our tree stands up for our likely shots at deer. Uh, And if I'm shooting 50, 60, 
I don't know how much further out past 60 that I, I would shoot. I guess it just depends on the situation. But if I'm shooting out that far, I want to have – I don't want to think about anything but my shot process. And I know that even though I'm shooting a brand-new bow that has been tuned by one of the best guys in in archery, in my opinion, with Jay, and I have all of the the practice reps and everything – I'm still always going to have it in the back of my mind that at any given time when I start to stretch it out, there could be arrow flight issues because I just I've there's so many things and so many times that I've seen it happen and I know that when I shoot that Grim Reaper head, it's exactly like my field point every time, um, however far I want to shoot it. And yep. I think yep. that I've always said about everything that we talk about on this podcast and you know when it comes right down to it all of the the details of how you hunt what you hunt with etc etc what it all comes down to is a well-placed shot period i mean it doesn't matter what brand equipment you use how you have it set up the angles that you shoot at i don't know insert uh, talking point here whatever talking point it is what it all comes down to is executing in the moment of truth and a well-placed shot because if you can execute and you have a well-placed shot there are a wide variety of equipment and opportunities that are going to work out for you you know and yeah. so i think that my i think what it came down to me in that decision is when it comes down to it the most important thing that I can do is I'm going to be in a foreign situation, alien to me, uh, as far as spot and stalk, as far as the mountains, as far as the hiking and everything. And if I, if 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 just the simple idea of being of having 20 years of experience with this setup and having ultra confidence in it to the point that I don't even think about my arrow or my broadhead. If that gives me just a little bit of an edge towards making sure that I execute and have good shot placement, then I'm going to kill the elk regardless. If I'm having to rely on some heavier arrow setup or some other kind of broadhead to make up for, well, that's not the best shot placement, so I need more penetration. I'm kind of, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm dancing with the devil anyway, right? You know. That's how I just how I look at it all. So, um, yeah, confidence is key with anything. I mean that. Yep. That's that's not just with hunting. I mean that's life in general. But if you're not, if you're kind of so so unsure about your setup, you know, especially y'all going up there to Utah, you know, going on a hunt, you know, I mean, you don't get to do this every year. You go up there and do this and. You know, what are you doing if you don't have confidence in your setup? It doesn't matter if you're shooting Rage broadheads or some of those $15 Allen broadheads from Walmart. It doesn't matter. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was um, I was, I was was in a conversation actually on another podcast, uh, Scree. We've actually dropped a podcast from Scree called the Scree Country Podcast. I would encourage you all to look it up, and uh, it'll be every other Monday we'll release an episode and and it'll be a lot of different topics from the hunting world um kind of following the seasons and the outdoor industry and a lot of different things but to the point 
we were uh, we were having a conversation with a very very well known almost cele- I guess you would call celebrity type person in the oh army. yeah he's a celebrity yeah I'll just it was it was Mr. Randy Almer so you can look for that episode uh, coming out in September but you know and he's you know this man's won numerous championships in in the archery world and is one of the most accomplished and renowned bow hunters on top of that. And so we were having a lot of conversations in that in that podcast just about um, about archery and bow hunting as it pertains to learning to be a better hunter and a better shot and, and different things like that. And, you know, what it really all came down to is the most, you know, something that he said in that podcast that it's probably been said on this podcast. I've probably said it because I, I honestly couldn't have said it better than he said it. Uh, or agreed more is the most important part of it and i i think you're going to agree with me levi but if you don't i'd like to hear your opinion um the when it comes to all of this stuff about our bows and our practice and the way we hunt the way we set up when it comes all all that comes comes down to uh what is the most important thing what is the most important thing that you need to learn to do to be a more effective hunter and and by that we mean capitalizing on your opportunities and that point is learning and becoming really good at executing at being able to calm down and execute through the shot because there are a lot of guys that are really good at figuring out deer and getting in there in in the in into position there are a lot of guys that are good at scouting and finding deer and hunting in the right place. They may be even really, really good at shooting a bow. But all of that doesn't matter if you lose your shit and you freak out when you get to your anchor point and you make a bad shot. Anchor point to release, yep. anchor point to release is the part of it that you need to be and become the, the greatest student that you need to put the most effort into because that's the part that matters the most. Agree or disagree? I a thousand percent agree with that. It's yep. You know, you can you can go shoot thousands. I mean, tens of thousands of errors in the summertime at a target, but if you can't mentally prepare yourself when you get at full draw to take a breath, pick your bow up draw your bow, get to your anchor, and breathe, and not sit there and just freeze up, you're going to have bad experiences. And I've, I've been through that growing up. But you kind of, I guess, once you get into enough of those situations, whether it be pulling back on a, a deer or shooting a 3D archery tournament and getting in the shoot down or, or whatever, it's it's teaching yourself how to manage pressure and everybody probably does it a little bit different. Um, I think one of the most overlooked aspects of becoming a really good shot with a bow is, is being able to control your breathing. And when you get drawn back, you know, and I have a tendency to do it sometimes too, is you get drawn back and you see your pin floating around on your target and you think by holding your breath that that's going to stop, but 
going through a repetitive process from how you shoot your bow, you know, and this is just a, this is what I do. I mean, right before I, when I pick my bow up, right before I take a draw, I'll take a real, real deep breath, exhale, get settled in, and I'm, I don't know if this is even backwards, but I'm typically in through the nose, out through the mouth while I'm shooting. That's typically how I try and do it. So, I don't making think, I don't think it a matters. repetitive process is important. I, I was say I don't think it. I don't think it matters if you do nose to you know in through your nose, out through your mouth, or yeah, some other yeah. method. As long as you're controlling it, you know yes. something else yes, might absolutely. work, but it may work better for you to do something different. I don't know. Open your mouth mm-hmm. and just kind of breathe slowly, like you know, absolutely. just through your mouth or just through your nose or something. I, I don't know, but whatever it is, if it gets you in the right place mentally. So that the focus is on anchor, process, release, and not, oh, my God, I'm fixing to kill the deer I've been taking pictures of for a month, (laughs) and then all of a sudden, boom. And you know what defines that for me very well, and I I cannot remember. I heard this recently. I don't remember if it was somebody I was talking to on another podcast or if it was a podcast I was listening to. It, it, It had to be one of the two, but... Somebody said this, and it it was, I was like, it's very simple, and not really a foreign thought to me, but it was, the way they put it was was very good. It You know, when you're hunting with someone, and they come back to camp, and they tell you they've shot a deer, and they should be able to tell you a lot of detail about not just the deer, way, the way it looked when it came in or what they saw when it was running off, but they should be able to detail a lot of things about the shot. And if they can't, then there's a good <laughs> chance that that they they weren't... That doesn't mean that, they, that you can't be successful. That doesn't even mean that you can't make a good shot. But I, all, I mean, all I mean by saying that is you should be able to, to slow everything down and calm everything down enough that you can you can really, in your mind clearly enough to explain it to somebody walk through the shot process and if you can't then you probably were uh, you know you probably want to work on that a little bit because this might have been a good shot but if if you can't recall those steps in great enough detail to explain it to someone then you probably were not zoned in as much as what i would recommend somebody be in order to to i don't know I'm not trying to make it an achievement. I'm just trying to give people uh, my opinion on on what you should strive for if you want to be the most effective bow hunter you can be. Yeah, it's. I mean, you can sit there and shoot every day of the summer and shoot what a hundred, three hundred errors if you have time for it. But a lot of that can't be replicated if your end goal is to is to hunt, kill mature deer, whatever. You can't replicate that uh, in the backyard. You just can't. So, Well, I'm going to let Colin tell a story. He's looking at me like, what? <laughs> Before uh, we'll get to the – I want to segue to something that we want to talk about a, a little bit here on this episode. But Colin mentioned that if I get an elk within 115 yards, I'm good. And, and I – so I'm just going to let him tell the story. 
Take it away, Colin. With a crossbow? <laughs> nope. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're in Kansas this past weekend, and we're at the camp shooting bows. There's a couple guys, and we have a target. Shoot a little bit at 20, back it up, 40, 60, and I think we ended up at about 75 yards, shot it a couple times. Everybody's doing pretty good. And me and Matt with 180, we we get the idea to that we want to stretch it out a little bit, test lock a little bit for this elk trip we got coming on, coming up. So let me interject something. This was supposed to be a joke played on me. <laughs> they didn't think I'd go for it. But anyway, go ahead, Colin. So we get another target, and at his cabin, we proceed to get in the side-by-side, drive across the levee, to the other side of the pond, put the target down, and it ended up being 115 yards. And the reason kind of why we chose that was because the sight tape on his bow stops at 100. And we knew it was over 100. So anyway, we get back to the camp. We kind of start tempting him. You know, maybe he's going to lose an arrow. Maybe it goes in the pond. Maybe it goes in the woods. Yeah, so the target's like five steps off of the water. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It was either shoot high or shoot in the water, you know, kind of thing. So we kind of start badgering him a little bit. And he dials his tape, his sight, to a blank spot on his tape that he presumed would be close to 115 yards. We're all watching. He draws back. He shoots. And I think it was like four inches from the dead center. And everybody kind of just lost it. So I'm just saying, if you're not shooting a Hoyt, you should be. <laughs> Honestly, like, I, so, like, I, don't, I really don't, I, I don't want any of that to, to sound braggadocious in any way, because it, like, I honestly, I knew we were going to do it because Matt kept saying, we're going to put a target over there on the other side. So their cabin is, like, kind of on the side of a hill with a porch, you know, so when you're on the back porch, it's like a 10-foot drop down to the, to the ground which is an in which is a decline going down to the bank of the pond and um over there across the water it was a i mean anybody anybody that likes to sit around and shoot the shoot the bull and shoot bows and stuff you couldn't have sat there on that porch and not thought somebody's gonna have to put a target across this pond eventually because it was just perfect you know (laughs) and but to be honest with you like i was like man for whatever reason, I was like, I I don't know that I can group arrows, but I can hit a, a freaking block target over there. I, I just know that I can. Yeah. But I was still surprised that I did on the first shot. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and yeah, you hit it on the first, and then you throughout the weekend you probably shot, I don't know, 15 or 20 over there all pretty well, and it's kind of like what we were talking about with the confidence is not that he'll shoot an elk at 115 yards, but – man, a, a 60 or a 70-yard shot becomes, in your mind, a lot easier and you're a lot more confident because that's not the furthest you practiced throughout the summer at 60 or 70. You tested yourself, you reached out farther, and now, in my opinion, it makes the, the closer shots much, much easier. Yeah. It does. That's I, a good point. I don't know if you do that, good Levi, point. but I, I learned a long time ago when I was like a teenager – probably around that age, just growing up and shooting bows and hunting with with guys that uh, that I looked up to that kind of taught me 
how to hunt and how to shoot my dad and others but there were some specific people that I shot bows with a lot and and I remember kind of learning from them they 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 did the large majority of their practice at 50 and 60 yards and this is even back when bows weren't nearly what they are now where a 50 yard shot was was that was something back then mm-hmm. you know um nowadays our bows are so fast and flat and, and balanced and and um and all that kind of stuff that 50 yards is is easier i guess in, in the use of the word easy but it, it's it's more attainable with a lot of variety of setups and back then you had to have a pretty well-tuned setup bow to be real accurate at 50 yards right this weren't as easy to shoot but they did that and they taught me to do that because obviously if i go out in your backyard with you and i shoot at 50 60 yards and i get decent at it and i'm and i'm grouping pretty good at 50 60 yards obviously if you move the target up to 20 that it's just simple you know i mean it's a lot simpler of a process but that translates to the woods too because yep. you know it it again the most important thing is anchor to release and if i'm aiming at a at a deer and it's at 20 yards 25 yards maybe then my sight picture is a whole lot bigger and a whole lot easier than that 8, 10, 12-inch, you know, square block that I've been aiming at at 50 or 60 yards over and over and over. And that's just one more thing that is simpler and allows me to be more focused on my shot process because I'm not having to do nearly the the kind of visual gymnastics of figuring it out because my sight picture is all deer. And all I got to do is get in the right spot and focus on everything else. So I think... That might be a very obvious thing to tell people in terms of of, uh, uh, an opinion or a recommendation. But, you know, I I shoot at long distances way more than I do short. Now, I do shoot it short, but when I shoot it short, I'm a lot more focused on on what I call a smooth release than I am anything else. But I shoot a lot of arrows at distances that I have no intention of shooting at a live animal. Yeah, it's I've I've heard it for from several people, and this isn't something that I came up with, but I've always heard you know practice double your distance on what you think you may take a shot at, yeah. and you know, yeah, and let people you know run their mouth that oh you shouldn't be shooting from that far, but you know if you can sit back there at eighty yards or a hundred yards and stack them inside of a little dinner plate, a small Dixie dinner plate. I mean, let her rip, you know? I mean, it's just because, you know, some people don't have that ability to do that. And if you're confident in doing it, let her rip. I, I, when I practice in, and I shoot most of the year, I, I, I lay off a little bit in February and March, but I typically pick my bow back up. I actually probably into March and through the rest of the year, really. I normally start at 50 yards and I do shoot 20, 30, 40. I may go shoot a few arrows from 20, 30, 40, but I normally start at 50 and go back. It's, it's like you said, it's, if you get up there at 20 yards, 
I mean, you can almost shoot blindfolded if you're practicing back at those distances. Yeah. So I, I like I said, you know, just kind of my final, my final thing to say on it is is really just repeating what I've already said. But for me, that like kind of establishing that repetition, that practice repetition of distance like that. What it's done the most yep. for me is it simplified my shot because I don't. I mean, the furthest deer I, I I like say it out loud right now. Like the furthest deer I've ever shot with a bow was forty yards on the dot, and it's the only one I've ever shot that far. I would say mm-hmm. that. Well, no, nah, I, I don't know the numbers, but every single deer that I've killed with a bow and arrow, except that one, were I think thirty yards and in. May there may have been one or two that were. 32 33 yards something like that i shot one of the one of the big bucks that i killed in the state of mississippi i shot him at 40 yards in a food plot and that's the longest i've ever shot a deer i've shot a few hogs at 35 40 yards but um it it you know those those deer that are 20 25 18 yards I don't like it. Just simplifies the process. When I draw back, I don't. I don't. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm so my sight picture and everything is, is uh, is is so much simpler because I'm so used to having to really bear down on a smaller target at a longer distance that it just makes it easier. But um, yeah, I. I don't. Me personally, I don't like longer shots. And you've always heard. You hear a lot of the. the trad guys say you know that you know longer shots you know closer the shot the better the hunter and amen to that because i want every deer at 15 yards i don't want to have to shoot a white tail at 30 40 yards i want them right underneath me to an extent yeah i mean the only the only the only thing about that that i would interject is i do think that there's something to the angles you know, and the angle that your arrow oh, yeah. passes through a deer, um, if the deer's out there 25 or 30 yards, there's uh, a better angle straight through the vitals. Maybe not straight through, yeah. but, you know, a deer that's really, depending on how high you are and, and the land terrain around you and all that kind of stuff, you know, a straight down shot is is trickier in, in just in relation oh, to, how, to how the arrow passes through the body cavity. So, yeah, yeah, a deer that's feeding broadside at 25, 27 yards, you get a much, much more face time with the arrow and the vitals. Uh, yeah. Or maybe that's, you don't, maybe you don't get more, but you have a wider area to, to, to hit. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's what I was in reference to when I said I want them right underneath me. Obviously, you don't want them right underneath you. That's a yeah. terrible shot, but want them close. Yeah. To, I would say within 15 yards and that, 15 to 25 yards is, I mean, that's, you practice it long distances and that becomes automatic. Yeah. The thing is, is that in the woods, 40 yards is quite a ways. It is. It's a lot different than 40 yards. Then you go put your target out at 40 yards in the yard. And, and you, can, you it's, see the whole target. Yeah, and it's it doesn't look the same as no. an animal at forty yards in the woods. Even if it's open no. woods or a food plot or anything, it's just different. When you're in a, 
I, I don't I don't care how you do it. You can put a tree stand up in your backyard and put a target at 40 yards. That still doesn't look the same as an animal at 40 yards. And, then, you know, it's different. Um, sorry, so let's segue. Um, we, you know, people that follow along, we're going to try to do a lot more with the Louisiana Bowhunter YouTube account this year. We want to do more video content. That's, you know, everybody loves video content on both social media and YouTube. Um, and you probably know that, uh, that I do a lot of video work, uh, for my, the way I make a living, but, um, we filmed a lot of hunts. I want to, like, I want to kind of, this kind of a, uh, a self thing, like I'm, I'm kind of promoting my own thing, but Colin and I did, and uh, we entered into the Hoyt Lifeblood film contest last year, so from our hunts that we made in the Midwest last last fall, we put together a film and entered it into Hoyt's Lifeblood Contest, and I would like to proudly announce that we are the people's champion. Absolutely. We are the people's <laughs> champion. They did not pick us in the top three of either category, so we didn't actually win anything, but we did get placed in, I guess, the four top. through seven. Somewhere, through, somewhere four through seven because they took the top seven and put them like as a featured uh featured film on their their playlist and we made it into that and we are by far and away the most viewed film in the playlist so we're the people's champion yep there'll be t-shirts <laughs> there'll be t-shirts made about that um <laughs> but with that being said levi i mean i know you've you've entered films into that contest and you do a lot of filming of your hunts and obviously colin and i do uh, a lot of that both personally and uh for our job so talk, Levi talk a little bit about like how you got into filming what what was your allure to it what you've learned from it from kind of trying to get started with it to where you are today like what does it do for you as a hunter oh bow hunting and self-filming is if you want to make bow hunting any harder add a camera <laughs> to it because it is it becomes exponentially harder yeah. when you have a camera tied beside you. But uh, I don't know. I, You know, I was probably, I don't know, probably 16 or 17 probably when I first kind of got an interest in it. And and I was I was probably right there with every kid that likes to hunt a lot. You know, I had aspirations. I wanted to be on the Outdoor Channel one day and all that. Of course, I don't really have that goal or dream anymore but uh when i first got a camera i don't know it's it just adds to the challenge of it i really enjoy it now my videos aren't up to y'all's quality because self-filming can be a three-ring circuit sometimes as some of the people listening know if if you do any self-filming it's it can be pretty challenging but it's it's really fun i enjoy it i've i've been doing it for uh, probably, I don't know, I guess maybe eight, ten years, I guess. And I really don't ever see myself. As long as I can, don't mind lugging the weight around, uh, stop filming, really. So It definitely, so there's, to me, when you talk to people who film hunts, whether they work in a in a system where 
they have a cameraman or a buddy that they trade on and off with, or they do self-filming. There's two things that are often said by those people. Number one, or not necessarily number one, because I don't want to rank these these things as one and two, but the first thing that I will mention that it's that I find commonly said, and I agree with these things, by the way, is the challenge of it. You know, um, most guys that choose to bow hunt, and especially guys that choose to try to extend and bow hunt only or bow hunt more than they gun hunt or or any way like that, that they're doing it because they like the challenge of getting an animal closer and being effective with with uh, archery equipment. Um, they like the challenge of it. And so when, like you mentioned, Levi, when you add a camera to it, it's even more challenging, you know. And so, so one thing that's commonly said is you get really into challenging yourself. Can I do this? Can I get a deer close enough that I can get a, a good shot with a bow, and then can I pull it off while I've got him on camera? Got to well. shoot him twice with yeah. the camera and with the bow. Yeah, so the, the challenge of it is yep. one thing, and then the other thing that's commonly said is just the reward factor of it. You know, the, just being able to share those memories and keep those memories and have them, um, you know, camp stories are great. But when you can show your camp story, it's even better. So regardless of what your purpose for filming is and what you're going to use it with, just having it is, it is great. I mean, if you haven't done it, it's awesome. And you'll find yourself going back over and over and over, re-watching those things. Not not in a, um, in a conceited or um, selfish kind of way, but just in a, like, just reliving those moments. I mean, like, you know, we're sitting here watching it storm in the middle of the summer and you go back and watch some of those videos and it takes you back to those cool beautiful days in the woods sitting in the stand and you know more so than just the deer and even those videos where you missed or you didn't get a shot but you got video of something cool happening from you know somewhere that you were hunting and all those things are are good Uh, a third thing that happens with video that Everybody probably could figure this out if they thought about it, or they already have, but there's a distinct advantage to the after-the-shot situation. When you when you hunt with a camera and you shoot a deer, especially with a bow and arrow on camera, you have a whole lot more to go off of when it comes to deciding how good was that shot, how long should I wait to go track him, how did he react, where exactly did he run, where exactly did he leave the food plot or where exactly did he go over that ridge? So when it comes to the recovery part of you know, the decision-making part, when you have it all on camera, you got a lot more data to go off of, and that's extremely helpful. I'm not uh, proposing that everyone should try to film everything because ethically they need to have data to go off of to know how to recover deer. That's not at all what I'm trying to say, but it is a very nice thing to have. I mean, I shot a deer last year. Um, in Missouri, and, you know, we, how much time, I ended up recovering him the next morning, and he was laying 100 yards from where I shot him, right where we, we expected him to be, but, you know, it wasn't a bad shot, but it wasn't a surefire, no doubt, pass through double lung kind of shot, and 
how many times, Colin, especially with with better camera gear where you can really zoom in, how many times did we look at that from how many different angles to and try to come up with with uh, with with different ideas to try to make the right decision and and in my specific situation we're sitting in in some hardwoods but we're only about 50 yards from a tremendously large crp field and the deer actually came out of that crp and into the woods and you know the idea is if we go if we go too early and we jump that deer up and he runs out in the middle of that three or four hundred acre crp all of a sudden things get real 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 dicey you know um and so that was a huge benefit to it i mean we ultimately chose to wait that day or that night because of the footage yep and we because we we didn't see him fall and we looked at the shot the deer was you know moving slightly at at the impact and at impact we both thought it, it was smoke like smoked and i mean it ended up being pretty much because he only went 70 yards maybe 100 yards but that was ultimately why we waited that night was because we went back and we looked at the the footage yeah it's a huge benefit so yeah i i like to go with my gut reaction I've, any deer animal i shoot you shoot it the first 50 yards what does that deer do in the first 50 yards does it run out there does it stop does he crash off does he hunch up and you can make a pretty good educated guess about your shot within 50 to 100 yards of how that deer reacts to that air hitting i would say i will say levi that i agree with you almost completely I, I tell people that I hunt with about many things, including, like, if someone's trying to decide is, you know, if someone's hunting in a situation where they're trying to kill or maybe they're hunting on a piece of property where they're supposed to only kill a certain size, age, class deer, how do you do that? You go with your first reaction. When you first see that deer, you know. Yep. If there's a doubt in your mind, everything from there is just you convincing yourself and almost every time <laughs> yeah. the deer's smaller than you have convinced yourself he is. When you see him the first time, you know if he's mature or not. Um, yep. But, that, I mean, that's a side note to, to what you were saying. It's the same thing on the shot. If yep. when You almost always know. But I will say this. The story that we just, the story that we just told is, mm-hmm. is a very uncommon outlier to that. Because you can, mm-hmm. if you watch the video, that it's it's part of the Hoyt Film Festival we talked about. Yep. I shoot the deer, and I turn around and look at the camera, and I, you know, the first thing I said to Colin was, "Did you have him?" Because the way it all happened, there was no communication. I had to trust that he was on the deer and everything was good, and it was the biggest deer I've ever shot with a bow. So, I, you know, I I was I was trying to not cloud anything, or or, and he was about to to he was getting very close to to getting where i wasn't going to be able to shoot him and so i went ahead and took the shot trusting i mean colin and i worked together a lot and i i had faith that that he was on him and all that kind of stuff but i turned around looked at the camera i said did you have him 
And he said, yeah, I had him. Was, was it a good shot? Because he's so focused on the camera work that he's not paying yep. a lot of attention to the shot either. He kind of sees it, and he kind of has an initial reaction, but he's not focused on it. And I immediately said, yeah, it was good. Good hit. Good shot. And that's what I thought. And the deer, what happened was the deer immediately, I mean, he was standing on the edge of a washout, and he immediately jumped down in that washout. And he never came out. Yep. And I said, he's dead. Like, he's at the bottom. I mean, he's he's right there. Like, we sat there for 15, 20 minutes, and I'm like, Colin, he's dead. Like, he's it, he he didn't come out of this washout on, on this ridge or the next ridge over, and I smoked him, and he's dead. Well, yep. he wasn't. And I did yep. smoke him, and he did die, but we got down out of the tree, and I slipped over there to the edge, and I saw him. He had made his way up onto the other ridge, just a little further down than we could see from our tree stand and he was you know when i saw him he was hurt really bad and he was kind of creeping his way over the edge of the ridge about to look like he was about to go bed up and i don't even know mm-hmm. that i jumped him i think i just kind of snuck over there and just happened to see him go in that direction i don't think he knew that i was there but point being after we went back and looked at the footage i was like oh man that was a little further back than i thought it was i thought he was mm-hmm. you know 100 percent dead you know, yeah. so and and that's an honest reaction to it, but the reason that we camera camera huge benefit, mm-hmm. it is huge so benefit. the reason that the reason that I wanted to kind of segue into the topic of of the cameras and all that is I I want to talk, you know, want to kind of talk a little bit about something new that we're going to do with Louisiana Bowhunter this year, and we really hope that people will will get involved and take part in this. We want to do. A, a, a film contest and so if for any of you that have ever done this or looked into it there's lots of film con- hunting outdoor industry related film contest from amateur to professional from um very small to to very large uh all across the country every year and they're really cool and it's just something else for you to dive off into and to just take your mind completely off of your job for the next three months and and just be ate up with the next chance to go film what we want to do is we want to offer a film contest with a with a a worthwhile prize package at the end and showcase the best of those entries on our youtube channel and give away a prize package at the end to the winner of the film contest and you know it's something that uh that all three of us on this podcast here are passionate about doing but I think it, you know, I look at the kind of the the hunting culture as it is, and everybody is posting so many things, uh, video and, and photo alike, about their hunts. They're sharing so much of that online that I feel like there's a lot of people that follow Louisiana Bowhunter that are listening to this podcast that they're already doing this. And and one of the things that I've heard from some people in the past is. Man, I like to film my hunts. I like to do that, and I like to have it to share with my friends. But I don't really have any other reason for doing it, you know. So some of it's like, I feel like, in a way, we may, we may be giving people a reason to do something they've been wanting to do anyway. Does yeah. that make sense? Well, I'm, I'm raising my hand. You know, it, it's one of those things. Yeah, well, that was yeah. That was I didn't really do anything with with my footage i never have other than that first year that hoyt contest 
came out. That was the first thing I ever put out to anybody, really, was the first year they did that toy contest. I made a video for it, and it was it was surprisingly an insane amount of fun to me. I loved it. it was well, really, really fun. I, I know that you know there's lots of people out there involved in a lot of things as it pertains to hunting. It, it's a very common place to find people trying to be influencers, trying to do pro staff style work and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, in doing this, I'm not trying to like insinuate in any way that that's what we're, we're trying to do. We're not. I mean, there's plenty of people out there that don't have any desire to have an, a hunting related social media presence or create their own hunting show or create their own hunting YouTube channel. But that doesn't mean that there's not so many cool things that go along with filming and videoing your hunts. You don't have to be trying to create a, a show for television or YouTube or social media to still get a whole lot from that whole process because uh, you know, like the things we've talked about, it it really can enhance the experience. And I think for us at Louisiana Bowhunter, I think that we talk about hunting in our areas of Louisiana a lot. We we try to be very diverse in in discussing, you know, everything from public land swamp access to private land pine thickets to you know, hardwoods and different parts of the state, but that's all just us talking about it. To be able to see it, hopefully, like to be able to see people hunting in different ways in different parts of the state, it brings it to life. And I think it would be great for our community, you know, something that we could share um, for everybody in Louisiana Bowhunter to see, you know, what's it look like when somebody's hunting along the river? What does it look like when somebody's hunting in the Palmettos or what does it look like when somebody has figured out how to hunt freaking pine thicket deer? You know, like all those kind of things. Or or even more difficult, marsh deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, deer that live in grass. You know, like all those things, I yeah. just think it would be really cool. And I, and I think that because of how awesome our community has been and helped to grow Louisiana Bowhunter and – you know, there's a lot of people that enjoy the brand and the community online in a lot of different ways. This is just another way to do that. And, you know, in the end, we're going to we're gonna try to put together a, a really worthwhile prize package to award, um, you know, the winner. But as it goes with all film contests, there's always, you know, when you, when you use the word contest, there's always a winner, right? I mean, there's somebody gets... On some measure, somebody's judged as the best, and they get the winner. But that, you know, I personally, having done this myself in, a, in several different film contests, there's also just there's something very rewarding about just having other people be able to watch all of your hard work in its final version and to be able to enjoy it and comment on it and just to have that showcased amongst other people that have gone through what you went through trying to put this together, you know. And uh, so whether you win the 
the grand prize and you get the free products and that kind of stuff or not, there's still a rewarding factor to it. So with that being said, I would like for each one of you to kind of comment, you know, in, in, in the process of us building this, we're going to release a lot more information about it. And obviously it's something that starts today, but it's not going to be due until after the season is over. We want people to have the entire season to, be creative with how they're going to do it. They obviously need time to hunt and um, and get all that on on film, and then they need time to put it all together and produce a final <clears throat> a final version of whatever story they're telling. Um, however, they 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 do. And so, each one of you, it'd be, it'd be interesting to me to hear from each one of you. Like, what do you think needs to be considered as like what are the what are the standards that you know you should hold someone to when they're entering a film contest like uh, there's lots of different ways people do it but what's the most important thing to ask for in terms of like guidelines for an entry Colin you go first so for me i think the most important thing is the storyline um it's and the reason we've we're running this contest from now until you know a month or two after the season is because the the story is not just it doesn't start when you climb up in the stand the story is season long so for me you know putting together a really really awesome story of a a deer that you may have history with or maybe it's a deer that came in for the rut and you've never seen it but for me, the storyline is the most important. Um, quality is another one for me. Now, me being a cameraman, it it's kind of holds closer to my heart. But, I mean, I think you don't need to go out and buy a $4,000 camera for this contest. You know, 1080p is just fine. Um, don't go break the bank, you know, for, for, this, for this contest. So those are probably, I mean, there's more parameters, but for me, those are probably the two most important things for me. Um, I don't know. What what do you think, Levi? Um, one of the, one thing that I'm sure most of the community, anybody listening to this doesn't want to see is we don't want any high fence hunts, uh, period. I've, you, you know, can't, I, I you like can't time to, up. Yeah, I want to be, I want to be, I want to support all means of hunting, but for a film contest, I really don't want to see a 300 inch deer killed inside of a pen under a feeder. I just, no high fence. That's kind of, other than the storyline, I believe the storyline that Colin touched on is absolutely the most important part. Uh, and it may be a, it may be a spike. It, the size of the deer. If it's a great story, the size of the deer kind of, somewhat, even to me, not being a cameraman becomes irrelevant. Yeah. Um. And you know, one thing I would add to that is, uh, is we want to keep the video within kind of a reasonable length. Uh. You know, if, if the story you're telling permits a 20 minute long video, then absolutely make it 20 minutes long. If it's interesting, don't drag it out for 
for 20 or 30 minutes if you're just, you know, coming up with, you know, content just to stick in there. You know what I'm saying? So, Well, uh, I, I saw, I want to say, I agree with you that uh, we, we obviously have not released an official set of rules and regulations. Rules. That's something that we're going to do, and we're going to do very soon. Uh, this conversation um, here on, like, the introductory podcast for the season is, is really meant to, uh, to pique your interest and get you thinking about it and get you looking for details. Uh, but I, 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 it is safe to say that, you know, high fence hunting would be one thing that we wouldn't want and I, look, I want to. I want to say this. I don't. I am. I'm not against high fence hunting as long as as long as the operation is being ran ethically and legally. It's yeah. not. I don't. If if it if if that is your thing, if you like that controlled environment, if you like to spend your hard earned money hunting in a uh, situation like that where it's controlled and you have a lot of access to what kind of animals you're hunting, then more power to you. I don't, I don't have anything against it that, um, but yeah. And I, I, let me say this, like, I don't want to come off as, you know, I may have came off too aggressive with all that. And I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, you know, we live in America. Somebody wants to go sit in a, 50 acre pen and shoot a deer as long as it's legal they should be allowed to do that <laughs> i yeah i have no problem with that but in the grand scheme of things for this i don't support that well the so. prob the problem the problem for that as it pertains to something like this and th- this is um this is my opinion i guess um but it's also kind of where i'm coming from in, in setting the guidelines is Part of story building for a film has to do with uh, difficulty. The journey. The journey. And it becomes very convoluted and hard to judge that when you have a, a different style, a radically different style of hunting being introduced against... Um, you know the other, and so it it makes the job of judging things, and really you you start to compare apples to oranges. And if that rubs somebody the wrong way, I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of people that will argue that when you get inside a large enclosure, that the deer act just like they do in the wild, and maybe they do. But when it comes to guidelines on anything that is judged and contested, you have to close up loopholes, right? You have to close up loopholes. Yep. That's the only way you can do it. So I'm not. I don't say that in a way to argue um, legitimacy as it pertains to hunting and 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 the harvest of deer and all that kind of stuff. It's just it's a contest, and I you know in good faith as the you know as a representative of Louisiana bow hunter in good faith, I can't tell you that I could objectively judge you hunting a deer that you raised from a fawn that you know exactly where he lives, exactly how big he is, and you take a thousand pictures of him a day on trail cam against a guy who's jumping on his four-wheeler and driving to the back of his grandma's 200 acres and hunting an oak tree that his grandfather's grandfather killed deer on. 
I, yeah. I can't I can't objectively judge those, and so I'm not going to put myself in that situation. So that I, I don't mean to go off on that tangent, but you know, so I'm going to move on from it because I I, I don't you know I, I don't mean it to go too far that way. But that would be one thing. The other thing is obviously it's got to be in the state of Louisiana. You know, um, I would love to think that Louisiana Bowhunter as a as a as a brand or, or you know as a community that we could grow to the point. Because I know that a lot of guys and girls that follow and, and, and love Louisiana Bowhunter also hunt in other states. And maybe we can grow this thing into something that the community supports and enjoys year to year. And we can have separate divisions of the contest where we do an out-of-state film and we do an in-state film. But for now, it's a Louisiana thing. And what I really want to see is I want to see, I want to see people hunting all across the state in their own way in ways that I don't hunt, that you don't hunt, that that he don't hunt, you know, uh, stuff like that. To me, that's what will make it fun. That will That's what will make people want to watch. And, uh, you know, so it would need to be in the state. Obviously, there couldn't be anything illegal in there. You know, it would have to be. No spotlighting. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can't go shoot a velvet buck next week and enter it in the contest and convince us, try to convince us that that deer held his velvet until October 15th. We're not going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to, if, if there's something questionable like that, we're going to try our best to, to debunk that. You know, we got to, we got to stay within, with the parameters of, of legal and all that. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about it, aside from that, is uh, aside from what we're talking about, is, is is just kind of my opinion. I ask you two your opinions of what makes, you know, what things that we should be looking for as we as we we lay this out and and figure it out. And to me, you know, the storyline is is very very important. Um, I I'm kind of also like Colin in that I do, you know, digital marketing for a living, so I do stuff with video and photo and so i always look at things through that lens uh pun intended i guess that and so quality quality ends up sticking out to me but but at the same time um i don't want this to be a contest that's about professional cameramen so you know there's a there's a uh there there's a a boundary around that but the quality can, but in saying that, I also know that, and I, and we can all see it with our own two eyes all across the internet right now. There are a lot of people producing very high quality stuff, and they're not professional camera people. They don't have thousands of dollars worth of equipment and and years and years worth of editing and production. It can be done, and the quality, at some point, the quality starts to highlight the effort that's put into it, and the effort that's put into it will go a long ways in determining, you know, the overall grade that something would receive in a contest like that, you know. So, so that, to me, that's where quality intersects. But I would, I would just say that if you can find a way to submit a film about bow hunting in Louisiana and the killing of the deer is not the focal point, and I don't mean the focal point, but it's not the highest point, it's not the most memorable part, then I, I would be willing to bet you you've done a really, really good job. And, you yeah. know, by that, what I mean is you can create really, really, really good footage that tells a story of you getting out of your truck and going into the woods and climbing up in your stand. And But, the, but, but basically, 
you can fast forward through the whole thing to where the deer walks in and gets shot and not miss anything. If that's the case, then the storyline's probably going to be lacking. So that that's just a bit, a bit of advice for somebody who's thinking about doing this is um, I've entered film contest and I've watched film festivals many times where there were films that ranked rated higher than other films where there was no doubt the quality and the experience of the camera work, the editing and production was much higher, but the film was just better because of the way it was put together, the story that was told, um, just the what's called storyboarding, basically, you know, the way the whole thing is arranged, it was just better. It was more entertaining. It was more fun to watch. And, you know, kind of along the same lines of if you don't ever look down to see how long the film is and then it ends, you've probably made a pretty good film. If you're looking to see how long the film is before it ends, then you've lost somebody's attention. So those are just some things that are that are good when it comes to judging, but that's not even, you know, those are just things that I feel like I'm obligated to talk about if I'm going to encourage people to participate in something like this because, obviously, everybody that does the work is going to want to see if they can win it. They're going to want to see if their film can be featured and presented by Louisiana Bowhunter for lots of people to see their work. And if they want to do that, then it's our responsibility to be transparent and to be open and talk a lot about what we expect from it and what's going to help them do a good job. But but for me, it's as much about the the participation amongst the community, continuing to grow that, making that a stronger community, um, and, uh, you know, just seeing these, seeing what people can do. It'll be, you know, when we get to February and the season start to end, and there's kind of that lull, and there's not as many people that turkey hunt as there are that deer hunt, so, you know, you're looking for some way to kind of recapture the excitement and the fun of hunting season. I think a film uh, contest would be a good way to do that, and we can... You know, we can spend a whole month releasing all these different entries for people to watch and reminisce back on their season and see what other people did. That seems like fun to me. So uh, that's something that we're going to do this year, and hopefully we at least have enough people enter it that we can that we can see it through and not and and not just have one or two two films. But if we do just have one or two films, we're gonna we're going to uh, we're gonna present those, encourage people to watch them. And we're going to give away a really good prize package. We are, um, we're going to release details on what all that's going to be um, very soon because I know that it will. I think we actually have some archery seasons that are starting to open up here in a couple of weeks. Not very many. The majority of the state is, you know, October first, the national holiday of opening day of deer season. But. Um, you know, and then of course we have some that go to February fifteenth. So you know, just like others that you know, they close at January thirty first. But uh, we'll be getting information out on that, and and with a lot more detail. And uh, I'm excited to see where that will go. Yep, just get out there and have fun with it, and press record and and see what you get. Yep, yep. As I will say this, as someone who has found my way into doing outdoor related video work full time there it is truly one of those things that if you if you've always been interested in it and you want to do it the only way to do it is to just jump off into it 
and you know you can choose to do that however you want you can um you can go max out a credit card on equipment and try to figure out how to use it all or levi levi (laughs) or you or you can uh go get the home camcorder and like colin said press record and see what you get and see how creative you can be so that'll be uh that'll be really cool but aside from that we've uh now rambled for a little over an hour and uh um I I'll just I just kind of want to end by just uh, like kind of getting a, a, a kind of a final. What are you most looking forward to this season as a bow hunter? I'll kind of get all of us to kind of opine on that a little bit, and uh, we'll wrap it up from there. So as far as the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three season, uh, Levi, you can go first. What it what you know what is there anything? that you can share that I guess kind of is, is stuck in your crawl that you're most looking forward to? Um, there have been a few deer that we let walk last year. Uh, I'm going to kill those. This may, <laughs> you might. <laughs> I hope somebody does. It may not be me, but I hope somebody does. Uh, this is, And this may be an unpopular opinion. Uh, one thing I... I I'm kind of excited about, and I'm probably going to get crucified about this online, but they're actually going to uh, ban feeding. Uh, I, it's banned right now, actually, in Tinsall. And I think Tinsall and Madison, and there may be one other parish involved in that. But uh, And this is more so for the next couple years. Uh, it, it, I've heard it may be indefinite that they're doing this, and that's – protein no corn nothing that uh i'm kind of interested to see over the next couple years possibly some of the size of the deer that we're going to maybe see over the next few years because you're not going to be allowed to put out corn or or anything like that and it's going to make people work for it and that's kind of a that's a lost art nowadays um not just in louisiana but all across the country and i'm not I'm not saying anything super negative about hunting over corn. You know, there's a lot of people that do it. I've done it before, and we do it every year shooting does. But when you take the corn factor out of deer hunting, it it's going to make people they're going to have to work for it. It's going to be it's going to be more difficult to fill their tags every year, and I. Me, Locke, and Colin have actually talked about it. We actually kind of hope that maybe uh, we get Jonathan Borderline on the podcast again to kind of discuss the CWD situation across the state to get a an, a little bit of factual information about it other than us just rambling about it. So, Colin? That's, that's kind of where I'm at. For me, um, I have – two deer from last year that I'm hoping they show back up and be excited to see. And I think, I think the biggest thing for me is that I've changed my sight. I've changed my release and I've gotten extremely more confident just in our, my, my archery, you know, as a whole. So I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit for, you know, opening day, I, I'm, I'm a much, a much happier person 
you know, in the months of October through January, through end of January. So, man, I'm I'm just really excited. I mean, it's it's pretty much here. It's it's it pretty much go time. So for me, I have a couple of things that are going on, in it, and and it's hard. Obviously, we talked about the elk hunt. That's something that I've never done before. So from just a pure archery standpoint, that's kind of a new adventure for me. That you know, I ha- that has to be mentioned in my list of things most looking forward to um that's one thing uh another thing that is is high on my list is you know i have a son that is he'll be 14 during the season and this will be his his third year of bow hunting but really his second year of really bow hunting um enough that i can uh you know really hunt with him um and and really you know he's shooting a bow he's big enough physically and he's shooting a bow that's big enough that we can hunt in a lot of different ways and uh you know he killed a nice buck with his bow last year kind of surprisingly that that deer is what showed up for his first ever opportunity but he did a great job and that gives me a lot of confidence and he he drew a kansas archery tag so to be able to 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 i mean i something that i have an extreme passion for is is hunting in the midwest and something I've been doing for a long time, and to be able to to share that for the first time with my son, who's old enough to go with me and hunt and and you know, like really take it in the way that I take it in. That's exciting. And then the third thing that we have made it an hour and twenty eight minutes, almost an hour and twenty nine minutes, without anybody mentioning a saddle, and uh, <laughs> or a crossbow for that matter. But um, I'm not going to start hunting with a crossbow. Feel free to do so if that's what you want to do. Um, I'm not, but Absolutely. I but I did mention last year towards the end of the podcast, if you listen, that I, I did pick up a saddle uh, towards the end of the year last year. And honestly, my hunting season had really tapered down. I didn't really have a target buck. And so I hunted out of it like five or six times. But it was more like I just picking these very – I was picking spots that I knew would be easy for a, a beginner to get in and climb up the tree and get set up and just kind of make a hunt sitting in this saddle and see what I thought about it. I was not, like, you know, really trying hard to get in close – I was just kind of flipping a coin and going, I know this is a pretty spot where there's lots of trees I can easily get into, so I'm just going to go make a sit there and try this saddle out. And so, of course, I mean, I had a few encounters with deer in in bow range, but I never shot at a deer out of the saddle, and I only probably made five or six hunts out of it total. So I am, it's September the 1st, and I'm like looking at at my hunting season and my preparations for it, and I'm, I'm looking at it a little bit differently in that I'm not putting as much emphasis on uh, pre-hung sets. Not that I'm not going to have them. Um, I'm still going to hunt that way because that's just how I know how to hunt. I'm still going to have a lot of that involved in what I do. But I'm interested to see how I'm able to use this tool as part of my as part of my um, my repertoire and and what decisions that I can make and see if I can make it work for me. I have my reservations about some parts of it, but I also, even in the little bit that I used it, I was able to recognize some of the benefits of the mobility 
and and stuff like that. So I am really curious for the season to get going and for me to start like finding new areas through scouting and trail cameras and then seeing, you know, if I can if I can figure out a way to to hunt more mobily using the saddle and and just see just see how how much I evolve into that or if I convince myself like I thought before that that's just not for me I'm just I'm just curious to see where that goes I may by by the time the rut gets here I may be like you know hell with that thing I'm gonna go <laughs> sit in my lock holes you know I don't know <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see but those are some interesting things that I'm kind of looking at for the season and um so yeah uh I'm, but like everybody else I uh September the 1st is kind of I don't know. I know it's not the official first day of fall, but football gets started up this week. I mean, it's kind of been slowly some high school games, some NFL preseason, a few college games in that early. But this weekend is like the first full, ble- like full blown weekend of football. I know people are starting to get the tractor work going and moving tree stands around and running trail cameras, and it just there's even seasons that are going to be opening up in the next two weeks and some already have in other parts of the country. And the time of the year is, is upon us and I'm just excited about that. So now we just need the weather to cooperate. We need some cool mornings and some North winds and that kind of thing. And that'll be, that'll be the last thing that I think we all need to just inch us just close enough to the cliff for us to all to make the jump and be full fledged go for the season. So uh, that's I'm already exciting. starting not to sleep at night. <laughs> well, it's uh, you, you're you're getting started early. <laughs> Start stocking <laughs> up on your uh, thermosel, yeah, juice pods and packets. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I want to encourage people one more time before we wrap it up. Go to LouisianaBowHunter.com. We've updated the site. May, hopefully, it it is uh more user friendly and a better experience for people. We've got some new gear out there that we hope people like, some new designs. We've got, um, as your as this podcast releases, uh, probably within the next week from the release of this, this episode, we'll have quite a few new hats coming out, some new designs on those, and we're going to try to do some more merchandise and even some other stuff like uh, some archery products and stuff like that, hopefully. Um once the season gets going so we're gonna we're gonna be pushing a lot more stuff like that out there to the community hope you guys will go check it out and uh ladies if you're listening just go buy it all for your husband they'll love you for it and we'll love you for it too (laughs) so check that out on louisianabowhunter.com follow us on social media facebook instagram i've been trying to talk uh colin into helping me out with uh getting a tiktok set up because he's a lot more social media savvy than i am and um all of those kind of things and and if you haven't yet i'm going to encourage you now go subscribe to the louisiana bowhunter youtube channel because we're going to start posting a lot more stuff there and if you subscribe then you'll you'll know it as soon as it gets posted and you can go watch that kind of stuff too and um with that being said you guys got anything before i wrap it up nope i'm good uh the only thing I would add, uh, you know, is in regards to the YouTube page, you know, any community members that want to add a video to want us to add the video to YouTube or, or whatever, you know, if it's something like a, a DIY 
thing that you do with your sticks or something that's not really super known about and you want to make a video of it, submit it to us and we'll, you know, we'll talk about it. We'd be glad to put it on our page if it's, if it's some very useful information. We think people could use it within the community. So yeah, don't be shy to put a video out there. Yeah, I'm, that's that's a good point. I want people to know, I'm going to say this, uh, even though I said I was wrapping up, I'm, I'm going to say this just in closing. Louisiana Bowhunter is the community. It's not a person. It's not a yes. hunting show. It's not, um, it is intended to be a community of like-minded people that supports and promotes archery and bow hunting in the state of Louisiana. So when it comes to content and when it comes to ideas and and all that kind of stuff, our goal is to promote bow hunting. And one quick story that we're going to take credit for right here on this podcast, whether we should or not, it's been an ongoing battle for years to get the Tunica Hills Wildlife uh, Management Area season dates to line up with Area 6, which it geographically falls in. We've had conversations with state officials live on this podcast. We have written emails, um, Kyler specifically, uh, a lot of emails in the past, and we have been an advocate for that. And I am going to go ahead and say that this is the first year that they have modified those regulations to allow people to hunt the full Area 6 regulation dates on that WMA, which seemed to be very logical and should be and i i just want to just uh like i said whether i should or whether i shouldn't we're going to take a little bit of credit and that's and and in saying that all i'm really trying to do is just um kind of present that as as what we are we want to be a, a community that advocates for bow hunters and archery in the state and the 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 more we grow this community the more that people take part in it and, and things like that, the more that we can do to engage and enrich the community of Louisiana Bowhunter, the more capable we're going to be of of being involved in things like that that really matter to people. And not uh, it's not about any one person. It's not about um, even really even about a brand. But we do need people to be involved with the community in order to make it all go. So that's what Louisiana Bowhunter is. I'm really just reinstating, uh, restating the 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 really the mission statement behind what Louisiana Bowhunter is, and I hope that you all understand that, and uh, and and really will buy into that. And with that being said, it goes very much into what Levi said. Um, we're not producing uh, a hunting show called Louisiana Bowhunter. If you are a Louisiana Bowhunter and you can provide value to your fellow hunters by hunts that you want to share or video photo content that you take send it to us by all means we will give you all the credit and and put it out there for other people to enjoy and to uh maybe gain something from so we are definitely all open ears on that and we might send you a hat or something who knows so um we'll wrap up from there um thank you guys for listening we're back on our regular schedule we'll be dropping a podcast every friday from now until at least February when the seasons start to end. That's what we've been doing since we started this, and that's that's the path that we're on, and we will just see where it takes us. And so uh, as we move forward, I hope you guys all get out there. If you're doing tractor work, be safe, and uh, don't get bit by water moxin. Like Colin said, make sure you got printing permethrin and thermocell and all that because 
it's still pretty ugly in that regard, but it's the best time of the year and can't wait to share a lot of really cool podcast topics with you and other stuff. So follow along with Louisiana Bowhunter. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.